Well, here we are at the beginning of December in the second week of Advent. Peace. Peace. Four Sundays before Christmas, Christmas being the celebration of the Incarnation, the birth of the promised Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, those four Sundays are a time in which we remember the promises of God. We remember the promises fulfilled, and we remember the promises yet to be fulfilled. We take these Sundays by theme, hope, peace, joy, and love. And if we take just a moment here, I want you to reflect on where and how you have heard, where and how you have learned, where and how you have seen, and where and how you have experienced God fulfilling the promises in each of those ways. Hope. Peace. Joy. And love. Well, peace is the theme for today. Now, as Alan pointed out, and if our focus is on our current circumstances, peace seems far away. The world's in crisis, not peace. This pandemic is hitting all over, including here. Sickness and death dominate the news. Economies have shut down. People are out of work with no possibility of earning an income. They're wondering how they're going to cover the basics. Food, clothing, shelter. Politically, the election's over. However, the hard feelings and the distrust are ongoing. And then there are the natural disasters like the hurricanes, the wildfires, the earthquakes. You want me to go on? Right? Where is the peace? As we look around us and look among us, the world isn't providing much peace. Money can't buy our way out of this pandemic. Power can't overcome our political divides. Entertainment does not substitute or satisfy the need for fellowship. And we cannot fight the deep-seated brokenness all around us with the military. Our schools and information we can find on the Internet offer no real lasting solution. Science, right now in the form of promised vaccinations, only offer a 95% efficacy if all goes according to plan. What about the other 5%? What about if things do not go according to plan? Where is the peace? Now, believe it or not, my goal here is not to depress you. Rather, I want to illustrate the miracle, the wonder, and the joy of life in Christ as contrasted with the despair of life without Christ. 
There is peace in looking through and beyond our current circumstances to the hope assured in Christ. There is peace in looking through and beyond our current circumstances because we are in the world, but not of the world. We are in the midst of this mess and brokenness, but we are assured of being carried through it and beyond it by Christ who has already won the victory. To know Christ and to put our hope and our trust in Him means looking through and beyond our circumstances to the promised revelation of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus proclaimed. We can have peace because we know that God has been faithful to His promises in the past, And God will be faithful in the future. Now, all that being true, it also is true that God's plan and purposes in the here and now may not always be evident to us. But our not realizing what is happening doesn't mean that God is not at work. Or, stated positively, God is at work whether or not we realize where and how. Consider what we learn from Scripture. God's plan for Christmas didn't start with Jesus in the manger. God's plan was already happening hundreds of years before when the prophets revealed God's promise of a Messiah, of a Savior. Then it was only hope. It would take generations for the time when God's plan was revealed. I mean, we're nine months into this pandemic, and it feels like an eternity, waiting for the relief to come. Now put yourself in the shoes of God's people, waiting hundreds of years, hundreds of years for the coming of the Messiah. Through all those years, people remembered God's promise for a Savior. It wasn't easy, and there were times when it seemed like a futile wish and seemed like folly, but they held on to hope nonetheless. They remembered God's faithfulness, and they trusted that God would be faithful. When we pick up the story in Luke, we see God's plan beginning to shine in the midst of darkness. It wasn't a heavenly spectacle that the whole world saw at once. Rather, it started suddenly and quietly and specifically with the birth of John the Baptist. And that p- pattern of suddenly, quietly, and specifically continued in the incarnation of the eternal Word of God in Jesus Christ. And it's important to remember that Christmas was not the end of the story. It was a high point, to be sure, but God was not done yet. And even as we remember the wonder of that first Christmas, we also have to keep our eyes forward where that first Christmas was pointing. The church gathers to worship and to move forward, to follow Jesus as he guides our feet into the way of peace.
Well, as we look at our verses today, we see that the birth of John the Baptist comes before the birth of Jesus. John's job was to prepare the way for the Lord, to proclaim what God was doing even before it happened. And so it is even with John's birth. John's birth narrative is the opening of the curtain and the dawning of this movement of God. And there are two parts to John's birth narrative. Our scripture lesson this morning is the second part. But in the first part, we're introduced to John's father, Zechariah, who's part of the priestly class. There were 24 priestly courses, classes, teams, or divisions that would provide service in the temple. Each course would be responsible for two years, two, I'm sorry, two weeks each year. And their duties were determined by lot. In other words, the job each priest would be performed was determined by the equivalent of picking a slip out of a hat. Now, one of the special jobs was to make the incense offering. The priest would take a smoking pot into the center of the temple, the holy of holies, beyond the curtain and out of the sight of the, everyone else. The honor of doing this would fall to a priest only a few times during his lifetime, if ever. And so it was a big deal. The details in Luke's account indicate to us that Zechariah was leading part of the three o'clock in the afternoon prayer time. Many people had gathered for those evening prayers. And take note of this. It was in the context of the faithful of Israel engaged in worship and prayer that God sent the announcement of the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. So there was Zechariah, an older man, going to the center of the temple to make the incense offering while the people were praying. And by all appearances, it was an ordinary day. There's nothing on the outside to indicate that something different was going to happen. Yet we, like them, never know when God is going to show up. Zechariah went into the sanctuary and he saw someone behind the stand where the incense was supposed to go. Now, we don't know if Zechariah had ever been in the sanctuary before, but we know that he knew this was different. Well, more than that, he was terrified. In the ensuing conversation, the angel told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth and he were going to be parents. Zechariah was puzzled because both he and Elizabeth were old. Well, age isn't really an obstacle for God. And the angel who identifies himself as Gabriel, same angel who had interpreted Daniel's dreams of the end times and who would make the annunciation to Jesus' mother Mary, well, Gabriel affirmed that God would do what he had said, but because Zechariah didn't believe Gabriel's words, he was struck dumb, couldn't speak. And that brings us to our scripture, the second part of the birth narrative. Elizabeth did indeed become pregnant. Time came to deliver John eight days after his birth, as was the custom. Parents presented the boy for circumcision, marking him as part of the covenant community. 
Neighbors urged them to name the boy Zachariah in order to honor his father who had been silenced. Neighbors had good intentions. They just weren't God's intentions. So Elizabeth informed all those around that the boy was to be named John. No, they protested. They went to Zechariah. He understood their protest, but wrote a note affirming what Elizabeth had already declared, that the boy was to be named John, meaning Yahweh has been gracious. And at that point, Zechariah's tongue was released and began to prophesy, that is, to proclaim the great deeds of God. So don't miss the bigger picture here. Zechariah is symbolic. He stands in the place of Israel's experience. For an extended period of time, hundreds of years, literally, Israel had experienced silence and frustration. And then suddenly, quietly, and specifically, God moved through Zechariah to announce a remarkable blessing. God has been gracious. Zechariah's proclamation at John's birth was a foreshadowing of John's function as the herald for Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. Zechariah sang about God's action before Jesus was born. Before the angelic announcements to the shepherds, before the Magi had come from afar. Through Zechariah, God was declaring what he was doing before he had done it. And look at the names. God has been gracious, points the way to Emmanuel. God is with us. And then looking at the substance of Zechariah's song, beginning in verse 68, there are three parts. First, recalling God's goodness and praising God for his faithfulness. The second, about the role that John the Baptist would play in ushering in this eschatological time of the coming Messiah, the fulfillment of time. And third, the meaning of the incarnation. And for our purposes this morning, we're just going to focus on the meaning of the incarnation as it's revealed in Zechariah's song. Now, verse 77, as we read it, was, is a succinct description of Jesus' purpose, as you will find. John would be preparing the way by heralding the Messiah, the one who will bring salvation to his people by forgiveness of their sin. That's a pretty good summation of what Jesus did. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will, will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. What is the way of peace well, the way of peace is more than the absence of conflict. The way of peace is active. It's engaged. It's relational. I mean, peace is something we all seek. People try all sorts of ways to achieve peace through security offered by having a lot of money, 
through energy expended to make everyone think well of you, through expression of power and control, through emptiness. And none of those ways succeed. You can never have enough money. Your reputation and popularity are only as strong as your most recent effort. You can't control everything around you to protect yourself. And you can't empty yourself without opening yourself to being filled with something else. The truth is, without Jesus, we cannot have peace. We do not have peace. Without receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, without seeking to follow him as a disciple, we don't have peace. We are, in fact, at war with God. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked in Isaiah 48. Peace is something achieved by the Lord. In Isaiah 2, the the Messiah shall judge between the nations, shall arbitrate for many peoples. They'll beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and they shall not learn war anymore. Well, following Jesus guides us into the way of peace. Standing still... We don't have peace. Going our own way, we don't have peace. It is only by the tender mercy of God, that is, Jesus, that we have peace. Now, peace is a word that Jesus himself used a lot, and he was consistent in using it. Peace was tied with faith. Those with faith in him know peace, experience peace, receive peace. Those who do not have faith in him experience peace as division and the sword. Just looking at within Luke, Jesus taught the, the woman who welcomed him and anointed his face with tear or his feet with tears and drying with her hair, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace from Luke chapter 7. Chapter 8, Jesus told the woman who couldn't stop her hemorrhage, who came up and touched his garment, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Chapter 10, he told the disciples whom he sent out in his name to proclaim the good news. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Chapter 12, when he talked about the end times and the division his truth would cause, he said, Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Those who receive him have peace. Those who do not receive him do not have peace. Palm Sunday, as he rode into Jerusalem in triumph, the people were shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And later, Jesus would would rebuke the religious in Jerusalem for not joining in the praise. If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. And then on Easter Sunday, after hearing the testimony of witnesses to his resurrection, Jesus appeared in the upper room among them and said, Peace be with you. 
As Jesus used the word, faith brings peace. Salvation brings peace. Jesus himself brings peace. He himself is the way of peace. But note here, we often mistake standing still as peace. Jesus used peace actively. Go in peace. Enter, first saying, peace to this house. Peace goes where Jesus goes. If we are still while Jesus is moving, that kind of stillness only leads to loneliness. That kind of stillness is death. It's not peace. And remember Zechariah's prophecy. He guides our feet into the way of peace. Jesus says, come, follow me. There is a way, there is movement. Problem is, we often treat following Jesus like we're going to a parade. When I was at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, we went to the Rose Parade one year. We got up early on that New Year's Day. We staked out a spot on the route and we waited. A little after 8 o'clock, there was a big bang and then the stealth bomber came in and flew low overhead. And then there was a long pause because we were about two miles down. And finally, there was a band that marked the beginning, the real beginning of the show. And we watched the floats and the horses and the other bands. And we watched for the few hours it took for the whole thing to go by. Then we went home. For us, the parade was a show. I mean, we watched, we consumed, we judged, we compared notes about what we liked, what we didn't like, and we went home. We went, but we never got in the parade. We weren't on the journey with those who were following the leader. And yes, the analogy breaks down a little bit. I mean, we weren't invited to join the Rose Parade. We probably would have been arrested if we had tried to do so. But the larger point is valid. As you watch, are you watching Jesus passively or are you actively following him as he guides you into the way of peace? Because friends, ultimately the way of peace is going to lead to this table that's before us today. Jesus says, come. And he says, do this. The way of peace is active. And pay particular attention to this truth. The way of peace doesn't avoid conflict in the world. It goes through the conflict with the world in obedience to God's call and command. Jesus did it for us. Jesus was obedient unto death, even death on a cross, so that we could be reconciled to God against whom we rebelled. Jesus did it so that our sins would be forgiven and that we would know the way of peace. In this table, we celebrate the grace of God granting mercy, strengthening, and renewing us on the way to peace. So come Join the parade celebrating what God has done, is doing, and will do. Worship the one who is coming, who guides our feet in the way of peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. And let us pray. Lord God, we rejoice as we remember the promises you have fulfilled. We rejoice in our hope and our trust of your sustaining hand guiding us into the way of peace today. And we rejoice, O Lord, in the promise and the hope of real peace, full peace, in that day when your kingdom comes. O God, we ask that you would bless us with a peace that passes all understanding, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. And let us sing this Christmas communion hymn. Gathered round your table on this Christmas babe so tender 